This is the continuation of family foundations, which is a broad and perhaps far-reaching subject. A family foundation. Paul will write to the church at Ephesus, if I could just help you with Ephesus. Ephesus is the largest church in the biblical New Testament. He's going to set up uh, his apprentice, Timothy, to take it. Paul will always be the apostle. And Timothy will be the understudy, even though Timothy becomes one of the profound pastors of the New Testament megachurch. Paul was going to write to that church, but we are privy to the fact that all of the churches, Corinth, Rome, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossia, all of them know of the same writings written to one church. In other words, the writings of the letter to Rome is easily and, and obviously shared with all the other churches. I, I, can, I can prove that by 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul is writing about um, the differences of men and women in, and, and how nature teaches about hair. At the end of that statement, he says, all the churches teach this. All the churches observe this. So Paul did not confine one particular letter to one particular church and compartmentalize it against or from the other churches. Everyone knew the same writings. They all understood the same things. The letters were transferable. Perhaps they were copied and sent around. So most of what we know about family, get this, comes from a man who was never married. Most of what we know about how husbands ought to treat wives and wives ought to treat husbands comes from a man that was never married. It must have been God. Because the first time one of these guys tell me how to raise my kids who haven't even been married, I think you're just a dummy. But someday you'll learn. And it's kind of funny that there are... There are national speakers that teach people how to conduct family affairs that have no families. Um, uh, this has been um, much to, to the dismay of many people. There's a lot of writings from people who have no experience in it. And so we have to be careful. But the Bible is written by men, but it's authored by God. So everything that you're reading is not from one man's particular viewpoint. It's the Lord. Because the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Bible says this is God-breathed book. So in other words, of those 32 writers that would, that would conclude or that would write in this particular um, portion, those writers are like dictators. 
uh, they're, they're, they're like a, a people using a dictaphone or, or a recorder, an author, uh, an attorney giving his paralegal um, some things to say. They were just holding the pen, but it was the spirit that was giving the utterance or, or the words for them to write. So the Bible is God's word written by men. He's the author. And so I read from the author, but of course, through the hand of Paul. And it's Ephesians 5.22. Now I know this is your favorite verse in the Bible. Maybe some of the men. Be careful, men. I'm going to get to your favorite verse in a second. (laughs) Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Just as you would submit to the Lord, submit yourself to your own husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now this, of course, flies in the face of our current society. Even as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so all of us, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, husbands, here's your favorite verse. Husbands, Love your wives. Now, it almost seems disproportionate, doesn't it? Wives have to submit and husbands have to love. That seems disproportionate. Because it's easy for a man to say, well, I love my wife. But it seems a little harder for the wife to be submissive. It, it already feels stuffy right here, right? It already feels tight. I'm already feeling spirits. Rejection. I'm already pressed through. That should I press through? The preacher said, press through. Husbands, love your wives. But follow the verse because it's going to get real hard for you men. You love them. This is how you love them. As Christ, let me just say it in the real world. You love your wife just as he was beaten, bled, died, hung on the cross, gave his blood when they were done, they pierced his side, the blood and the water. He was without liquid. His face was deformed. He suffered great pain. He gave himself for the church. You love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He gave himself for people who did not appreciate him. He gave himself to establish something. He laid down his life. So now we've become not even equal because what a husband has to do to love his wife far out, out see, exceeds what a wife has to do to honor her husband. Let me just tell you, wives, your, your job to love your, to submit to your, to your husband is a difficult task because part of the curse of the garden, coming out of the garden, part of the curse, the man is going to have to work from the sweat of his brow. But the wife is always going to try to lord over her husband. Her curse, one of her curses, not just in childbirth, but the other curse was she's going to try to dominate him because her natural instinct is to take control of him. No, there's not an amen. There's not a, and no one wants to say anything. Just hold it. Breathe a little bit, man. You guys are getting really red. You're ready for like free diving right now. 
That's the longest 30 seconds of your life right there. My God in heaven. Sweat. Now the reason why he did it is because he wanted to sanctify it and cleanse it. And he did it by the washing of the water by the word. So he could present it to himself a glorious church. We haven't left the husband and wife. That church can't have spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy without blemish. Now we're right. We're still in the vein. Paul's still in the vein. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. The best way to be good to yourself, gentlemen, is to love your wives. Husbands and wives. Now, I'm not going to leave out single parents here tonight. I won't leave you out. I'm not leaving out people who have, who, who you may not be married at the time, at this juncture. I'm not going to leave you out. But let me just go to the next writing of Paul. We're, we're still in that same letter. Just a few strokes of the pen later. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. I'm not giving you all the scriptures here in this handout. The Bible says don't provoke your children to wrath. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Of course, you do that by an uncontrolled temperament. I just want to establish those verses just to get your mind in the frame of foundations. Um, years ago, Brother Jack Simmons is not here tonight, but years ago, uh, we first came to Terre Haute and, and we moved into our house on Hudson and the sidewalk leading into our door wasn't very good and he knocked on our door about 6.30 in the morning and he had a couple shovels in his hand and he said, uh, come on, Pastor, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to pour you a new sidewalk. And I said, well, I, you know, I don't know much about that. He said, it's okay, I got you a shovel. And so he brought me a shovel. And, and the next thing I knew, Tammy was making bacon and eggs and a biscuit for him. And he spent the better portion of uh, 15 years uh, uh, eating breakfast and, and pouring sidewalks. At our house. Um, it was a big sidewalk. It took a long time. Um, uh, I learned a lot about concrete from him. Uh, at first, I learned what not to do with the concrete. Now, concrete has three basic components. There's uh, the aggregate. Uh, that's, that can be rock or sand. It can be gravel. That's the hard uh, substance. The, the other portion of making concrete is water and and then there's cement now we could dissect cement because it has a whole bunch of other agents in it but cement is the powder form it, it acts as a binding agent and when you mix it with the water and the aggregates it binds it together now if you put too much water in the concrete the concrete will never set up correctly it will always be um it will always be insecure if, if there's too much aggregate and not enough mixing powder, then it will flake or break off. 
Um, if you pour concrete and it's raining, you have to have a period where there's no rain on the concrete. Otherwise, uh, it can be uh, uneven and it won't level correctly. There's a whole bunch of problems. In fact, concrete doesn't even set up in the first day. You could walk on concrete. It still hasn't set up because the molecules are still moving. Of course, if you're a chemist, you'll know that the molecules are always moving. But there's a period of time when those molecules settle a little bit. They settle down and you can build things on top of it. The foundation is so critical to the building. But it befuddles me why so few people spend time working on their foundation of life. Why do we not spend more time working on our foundation? Let me just tell you, the best place to hide something is probably not in the attic. It, it may be in the walls, but maybe not in the walls. But if you really wanted to hide something forever, you put it in the foundation. Walls can be torn into, attics can be ac accessed. But to take something out of the foundation means you have to do a lot of struggle and you've got to break up a lot of things. What you see me do here every week, maybe even tonight, I don't know. What you see Brother Scott do, what he does here. I can tell you where the foundation is in our lives. Of course, mom and dad and growing up in the church and and disciplines and all kinds of things. But when we were young, we had this little thing called Bible quizzing, and we started to memorize scriptures. Now, it was early days of Bible quizzing. We, had, we screwed doorbells to a, to a one-by-four, and it went across the table, and we had mittens. On one hand, you had to hit a buzzer and then raise your hand with the colored mitten on. You had to wait for them to call your, your color, and you had to be very still or you would get a foul. And if you got five fouls, you get foul, fouled out. I, I was always getting fouled out. You couldn't look at your neighbor. You couldn't look. You had to look straight ahead. There was a lot of rules that didn't have anything to do with memorizing. When Scotty preached his first sermon when, I was seven, when he was 17, he quoted about 30 or 40 of his Bible quizzing scriptures. I'm not exactly sure what he said, but he got all the scriptures right. I constantly am preaching the scripture, but I don't remember where they're at. Because after, from 12 years old to 18 years old, and I don't remember how long Scott was in Bible quizzing, we memorized books of the Bible. One year we memorized the Apostolic Doctrine, which had 1,027 verses in it. And the Apostolic Doctrine had scriptures from Proverbs and had scriptures from Genesis, all kinds of Old Testament scriptures and then all kinds of New Testament scriptures. That was a whole year we memorized that. That's what we thought we had to do. One year, we memorized the book of John. Another year, the book of Mark. One year, the smaller books. I memorized the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, which was just a little under 500 verses. That was an easy year. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just competing because there were trophies and there were girls to impress. And there were trips to go on. What I didn't realize, of course, but now we look back, in those six and a half years of quizzing, I memorized 5,000 verses of the Bible. Now, I believe this. You can't withdraw something that you've never deposited. 
Wouldn't it be great if you could withdraw something you've deposited, you've never deposited? Just go to the bank and say, and I'd like to have 10 grand. That's great. Now, you don't have 10 grand in your bank account. Oh, that's okay. I just want it anyway. And that's what happens with a lot of us. We want something from the Lord or we need something from the Lord, but we've never deposited anything, so we can't withdraw it. And we're wondering why we're, we're empty or we're, or we're struggling or we're in a deficit. The reason why is because we've never put time in prayer room. We've never put time in the Word. <laughs> we need something from God, but we've never given. We need to be served, but we've never served. We need to be helped, but we've never helped. I would just submit to you that in the foundation, one of the greatest parts of the foundation is the word of God. Now, the word of God, memorizing the word and reading the word doesn't really happen in this house. This is not where you really get it done. In fact, if this is the only place where you hear the word of God spoken or read, or if this is the only time you read the word, you are in serious trouble. We've got to rush some medics over to your house and pump you full of the Proverbs. Or some other book. That foundation is the basis of all of my preaching. The foundation is the basis of all of my understanding about God. In fact, the foundation of the word of the Lord is the basis of every counseling session, of every decision, of every family decision, of every business decision, of everything that I ever do. That's my foundation, the word of God. Or as David would have said, thy word have I hid in mine heart. And the purpose was so, so he wouldn't sin against God. Because the reason why people sin is because sin against God is because they don't know what God wants them to do. Did you know that you're still responsible for breaking the law, even if you don't know what the law is? Go ask one of our police officers. If they pull you over and you're going 50 and a 30, and your excuse is, I didn't see a sign. It's still, I found this out the hard way many years ago. It's my, he told me, it's your responsibility to know how fast you can go on this road. I was trying to argue with him. I said, there's no signs. There are signs, you just didn't see them. And if you don't have a sign, there's a standing rule in the city. You can only go so fast. This is interesting because the foundation is so critical if you don't have the foundation, you can't really build a stable house. Let me just give you a couple of reasons why people spend so little time on the foundation. There's, there are re real reasons why. Number one, it's hard work. It's labor intensive. It's time consuming. This is, what, this is what Luke was writing. He's reiterating uh, the preaching. Bring therefore fruits worthy of repentance. What does that mean? I think it speaks to us today. We spend too little time repenting and rushing to rejoice. We want resurrection Every church, every church member wants resurrection, but we spend too little time in repentance. We've got to go back to repentance and clean our hearts out. We want to get right from repentance. And, and I've, I've paused a lot of people who are praying for other folks at the altar. And the people are at the altar and, and the people that are helping them pray, they're trying to 
pray, pray with them so that they would receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I said, no, hold on a second. They need to clean out their hearts because the Spirit, even the Bible says, He's not going to put His new wine into an old vessel. You've got to get your heart right. Let's take a little time and be on the altar and repent a little bit. Because if you want to measure the artifacts, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the representation of the resurrection, is this big. And the altar is massive. You had to walk around the altar. The first thing you got to was the altar. And there's a lot of blood. And there's a lot of wailing. And there's a lot of work at the altar. The altar took time. It took effort. It, it, it was labor intensive at the altar. The Ark of the Covenant was where the blood was sprinkled. And it was consumed by the cloud of glory. So... I'm submitting to you today, this evening. You need to go back to your foundation and pray that God would help you with your foundation. It doesn't matter how long you've lived for the Lord or how old you are or how many experiences you have. Go back to the foundation and talk about the foundation. I'm going to get into that in a moment because we're talking about family foundations. The next reason why people don't spend time on the foundation is because the foundation is hidden. It's always, almost always behind the scenes. It's, it's not out there. It, you know, It's hidden. It's something... Once it's done, no one really goes back to consider it. It's covered up. It's like someone who puts up drywall but do a real bad job. So instead of painting it, they just put up a couple different sheets of burlap or some wallpaper. You know, wallpaper covers a multitude of sins, just like love. But if you ever get into a house where you have to strip the wallpaper off, you're going to reveal, ooh, somebody didn't take very much time on this wall. <laughs> the third thing is misplaced value or a lack of understanding. And I put the lack of understanding because people don't, they don't value what they don't understand. See, our perception is that the foundation work is not as important as other parts of our life. So we don't value the foundation. So we're not valuing the simplistic things. We want to get to the deeper things of God. We're not valuing the things that are, and I hate to say it this way, but boring or monotonous. And the value of living for God is what you're doing right now. It's coming to church on Wednesday night and there's not a special guest and the choir is not scheduled to sing. And I don't know if someone wants to shout, but if you do, we'll wait for you to get back to your seat. It probably is not going to happen right here in this atmosphere. But when you get to a conference or a powerful service or a, one of those moments where you know, man, this is exhilarating and goosebumps and all the things that are happening, those are the exciting times. But the foundation is learning the principles of the scripture, learning, drafting, readjusting over and over again until the foundation looks good, it looks right. Of course, if you don't value it, you won't spend any time on it. And the foundation of the family is much the same way. I'll talk about it in a moment. I'm getting back now to that scripture in Ephesians. And I just want to talk a little bit about roles. Roles. There are a few elements of a healthy foundation. And I won't exhaust them tonight. I'm just offering three so that I don't burn up the whole night. And the children's department are 
happy with me. Roles relate to the order of the family. Now, for those of you who are single parenting, let me just tell you that God will bless you and equip you and supply the need for your children because he is a good God. And for children who have perhaps have lost their, their father, the Bible says that the Lord will be a father to the fatherless. He fills in every gap. He never leaves anyone empty. When you start following the Lord, he's always faithful to fill in all the missing pieces of your life. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the benefit of the blood. <laughs> oh, man. My mind just raced ahead, but I won't preach. The proper roles were set by Scripture, not by me. The proper roles of how a man and a woman and children and a family should respond and act is not set by government, although our government would love to take your family away from you and divide you. The proper roles includes single-family homes and blended families and even traditional families. Of course, the question has often been, who's in charge of that family? Who's leading it? Who directs the house? How is the structure built? I just, I'm remembering my mother speaking on Mother's Day, maybe three or four years ago now, when she spoke. If you remember her, her, the title of her, her message, Who's in Charge? And she talked about getting back in charge of the home. And today, a lot of children are in charge, even younger children, older children, they become in charge. And when those roles are displaced or misplaced, then the structure, the foundation is being messed up because the foundation is, is a husband and wife and children in that order. In fact, it is man, woman, children. It's, it's father, mother. It's husband, wife, children. That's the order. That's the hierarchy. It doesn't mean that the husband lords or dictates over the wife. It doesn't mean that he's, that he's abusive. This is not, the, in fact, if you read the scripture that I just, that I just quoted to you or read to you and consider it, no, he is considerate. He is, he is giving himself for his wife and she's submitting to him. Both of them have, have roles to play, but the children are never in charge. There are, there are ditches in, on both sides of the road, so I have to present both of them so that no one walks away thinking that, that, um, that we spend all of our time negotiating with our children to make peace, or we spend all of our time whipping them. Discipline is not confined to corporal punishment. Discipline is the routine that results in order. It's the routine that results in order. It also results in another thing too. It results in security. So if, you, if I say discipline and you translate that as getting a belt out or a newspaper, or as my mom used to do it with a fly swatter, we, should, we were running around the house trying to get away from her and she had the fly swatter in her hands. You just go ahead, boys. I'll, I'll, I'll spank you when you go to sleep. I'm going to spank you. 
I'm going to whip you when you get in your bed. I'm going to whip you. I'm going to, your bed. You might as well get it now. It's going to be worse. Wait till your father comes home. Sometimes we were hoping he would come home. (laughs) Discipline is routine. It's doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's having schedule. It's having a life, a schedule. This happens a lot when, 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 when people, um, uh, when, when people have jobs that, that float and they don't have a scheduled time to go in and out of work. Or I can remember when I was in my early 20s and I had no family, no wife, no schedule. I could stay up any hour of the day and I could go to bed whatever time and I get tired. And I remember coming home from a revival and, 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 and getting into Bloomington, Indiana. And Steve Richardson was there at, at, at midnight. He said, hey, Jeff, let's go to the coffee shop. And we would go down and get some coffee and go into the student life building. I mean, the student... Um, uh, union building and it would be one o'clock in the morning and we would just go back and of course he was never married and didn't live by a schedule and that was so cool but but it, it didn't last long because you can't live that way and that's an absence of discipline discipline it's routine it's almost mundane but it adds security it adds order to life a good foundation executes discipline in everyday life. Roles. Parents. Husbands. Wives. Mothers. Man. Woman. Child. Role. What role do you play? What disciplines are in your life? You see, if you don't have disciplines in life, in normalcy, you'll also struggle in your finances. And when your finances are out of order, your whole world will be out of order. In fact, I'll teach this multiple times, so I don't want to be too redundant. But the top two or three uh, reasons why people get divorced is infidelity. That's an, that's adultery. Infidelity, finances, or some kind of tragedy like a death in the family. A child dies, something. But the top two switch. Sometimes it's sometimes it's financial reasons, and sometimes it's 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 infidelity, or it's or it's it's an affair. Those are the reasons why people get divorced. But the reasons why those things happen, they don't happen out of thin air. They happen because there's no discipline in the home. The, the foundation of discipline is part of the aggregate. It's part of the concrete mix. It's part of your foundation. It's discipline. Doing the same thing over and over and over again. And if you don't, you're not playing your role correctly. Now, for parents' sake, let me just add this for you, help you. Aiding poor behavior is the pitfall that disrupts order. If your son has a problem with, with, I don't know, a substance, don't buy him the substance. <laughs> if they have a problem with, um, with, with, if the son has a problem with, or the daughter has a problem with, with guys and she's not doing well and she's always hopping around from a guy to guy, don't bring a guy into your house and have him live there. I, I can't believe I even have to say this, but I have to say it because this has been permeated throughout America today. Parents everywhere, even in Christian homes, are saying, if they're going to drink, I'd rather them drink in my home. 
I'd rather them drink in my home so they're not driving somewhere. I'd rather them get drunk. I'll buy the beer. I'll buy the alcohol. So at least they're in the confines of my walls. Believe it or not, that, that statement has been said in Pentecostal churches. You would think that it wouldn't be, but we've, we've drifted so far away from sure and secure and, and reasonable foundations that now we're dealing with people who have been... Listen, the church is not immune to the philosophy of the world. That's why when I'm up here preaching, many times I'm preaching counterculture. I'm trying to beat back all the darkness so that we can get back to normalcy. No, it's not a new age. We're not talking about a new time that I don't understand anything. We're talking about the original, not old times, the original. I can't even believe I have to preach or talk about and say something against vaping and marijuana. Really? This is the day that I have to get up and say, don't put anything in your mouth that doesn't belong there. Yes, the answer is I have to. Because you have to know where we, where we are, where the word is. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm doing a big study on marijuana right now. A big study on medical marijuana and other forms of miracle marijuana and HTC. And I'm not done with it yet. But everything so far, oh boy, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. If that's the gateway is big and it's being rationalized by apostolic Pentecostals. Yeah. So here I am. I might just be a voice in the wilderness and no one's listening, but I'm going to speak it anyway. Because, you know, this is what I have to do. I'm, I'm commissioned by God. I, I want everyone to know I love you, but I'm going to preach the word. I, I'd like to have your approval. You don't, please don't clap your hands. I'd like to have your approval. And your affirmation. But I'm going to please God. You may not like me. But you're going to love me. And if you follow the word. You're going to be saved. I've got to be saved. I don't like everything my elders told me to do. And my pastor told me to do. But when I found the word. And I found out he was right. It was a good thing for me and my family. Listen. Confusion enters. In this thing called roles. Confusion enters. Because we don't have the proper, you should put this down on your page, respect for one another and love for one another. I'm going to get to this here in a moment, but respect and love for one another. Respect the people in your home and love the people in your home. Your foundation is more secure when you have respect and love. And hear me, and you ought to do everything you can to garnish it from them. Uh, Tammy grew up with a mother who was very much into manners and I don't know if it's a southern thing or if it's just Norma but Mama Norma is big on saying yes ma'am and please and thank you and yes sir and, 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 and if, if you, you walked by and she said something and you didn't hear what she said they were never allowed to reply what? huh? no, you replied ma'am or excuse me or pardon me. <laughs> Tammy will yell up to the kids upstairs and she'll say, it's supper time. And I'll hear one of them say, what? And she'll say, ma'am. Uh-huh. Huh? huh? Ma'am? 
Finally, a light bulb comes on. That's how I should have answered. Mm -hmm. Because the next element of a healthy foundation has to do with your language. It's how you talk. Oh, did you want the last line, Sister Lori? Yeah. The absence of rebuke. Let, can I finish? I'll finish it out. My, my dear, my apologies. God forbid. The absence of rebuke creates the presence of rebellion. The Bible is for reproof and rebuke. People do not like to be rebuked. Let me tell you right now, everybody who ever said, Pastor, if there's anything you see wrong with me, don't, I want you to tell me. No, you don't. Don't come up and tell me that. If I ever get out of order, no, you don't want me to tell you that. Because the first time I say to you, I don't like that, that's not good. Also, sometimes you don't read me. What do you think about that, Pastor? Well, I probably wouldn't do that. That's my way of rebuking you. I don't think that's good. <laughs> he didn't say it was bad. He just said he should never do it. No one should ever do that. And that's all. But he didn't say it was bad. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I'm going to send some of you folks off to Pastor Stark. You're going to come back. You're going to love me. I'm bringing Pastor in. He's going to talk to everybody. See, what is said inside of this house creates the environment of the house. You want to create an environment? I don't care how many candles you, you, you light. And, and I like a nice candle. I don't like all the candles. I don't like potpourri candles. I'm very discriminatory on candles. But I like a couple of scents. And I like the soft music going on. A little river, little river band in the background. Soft music. Casting crowns and some other Christian things. And then throw in some Bee Gees. I like the soft music going on. <laughs> little Heather Hadley. And then we'll, we'll put some Jesus music on too. And get it all going. I like all of that. Because then it's, it feels good. But when the spirit of the home is right, you don't have to have any candles. Because you can feel it. There's love here. Whatever you say in your house permeates your home like the scent of a candle. The house is usually the place. Let me just say, it should be the place where love and kindness and kind words. We're working on this in our family. Kind words. This is our prayer. When we get done praying in the prayer room in the morning, we gather around and this is my prayer. Lord, help my children to love one another and be kind to one another with kind words. Kind, kindness. Let me ask, where did kindness go? I don't want you to tell me that you're German. Don't tell me that you're Polish or you're Stoic or that's how you were raised. I don't want anyone to use the excuse. Well, you know, just how we always... Well, then you did it the wrong way. Your nationality does not dictate you being mean or ugly. How about a kind word? A gentle word? A soft answer, the Bible says, turns away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. The tongue 
is the creation mechanism of your whole life. You create your world by what you say. I'm out of, I'm, 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 I'm out of sync here. But language is the means of creation. Everything you say out of your mouth, you should create a wonderful world by what you say. But if you walk around like Eeyore all day long, nobody likes me. Nobody loves me. I go to church, I just sit there. Come on, Eeyore. Pick it up a little bit. God's good. You've got the truth. The worship team is awesome. The building is nice. There's a lot of love. Jesus died for you. You, meet, you need to get a little, a little chart, a little list, a little index card of all the good things that God has done for you. And every time you think life is hard, write them down and put them on your palm. Sorry. Too many peas. And read them out loud. And recite them all the time. None of you are hungry in here. And if you are, somebody called me today and they want to give me 240 feet of salami. My God, you could have like several boats full of salami by the time we get done this month. Hear me. God's good to you. You should be smiling about what the Lord. Somebody tell me, did you really get born again? Because your language doesn't sound like it. I was in the grocery store many, 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 many years ago. And I was at another state and, and it, was a, it was a grocery store. And I recognized the two ladies and they were from the Pentecostal church. And they were walking around. They looked so sour. They looked so mean. And they were so grumpy. And they're walking around telling everybody they found Jesus and, and the Holy Ghost. And I, I thought, man, if that's, if that's what it is, I don't want that. I'd rather, I don't want a new life. I want my old life. You represent something. But the problem is your language has dictated your atmosphere and your home. And that's why when you put your television on and you just let it play and all the cuss words come out and all the horrible things come out that you would, you would be aghast if I said from this pulpit, you'd get up and walk out. You'd say, that should never happen in the house of God. Your home should be the house of God. The problem is we've compartmentalized our life. You said our home is our home and the church is the church. The church is where we act holy. Really? You're not even going to get to holy unless you have holiness in the atmosphere where you live. This is a temporary dwelling. We don't even let you do the things here that you do at home. No booties allowed. No coffee in the house. You can't sit down and eat a donut while I'm preaching. You can slip Small Cheetos in your mouth if you don't get caught. Because <laughs> I know a couple of people who do that while I'm preaching. It's okay, they're hungry. Low blood sugar. And you can't just say whatever you want to just because it's in your home. You, everyone needs to learn how to clean out the filter and put it back in. The filter between what comes in your brain and what comes out of your mouth. Let me add something to it. What comes in your brain and what comes off your fingers when you're typing are with your thumb. Just because you have the ability to tell everybody what you feel at that particular time doesn't mean you need to post it. <laughs> oh, never mind. 
you said amen, but you don't believe that. You, blah. you don't believe that. Filters. Let me just give you a couple things about filters. See, the house where you live, people use it and they lay down their guards. They remove their filter when they get to their home because they think their home is their own quote-unquote castle. But filters should be in your mouth, in your brain all the time. See, filters are not subject to locations. Look at the scripture, Deuteronomy one twenty-seven. Of course, I have people who say, well, can't I say what I want to in my own home? Not according to God. This is what God said. And ye did what? Murmured in your tents. That's your home. You murmured. God said, I was listening to you murmur in your tents. You said, because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us to the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Look how mean God is. Can I just say what I want to in, in my own home? No, you cannot. Because you have created an atmosphere and your foundation is getting messed up. Because you've decided that you've compartmentalized your language. You'll say everything good here and say everything bad there. You'll express all, all the grievances you want at your own home. What you don't know is... You're destroying everything downstream. Go back and listen to the tributaries. Filters are the constant. They are the constraints. They are the restraints of the tongue. Finally, filters are those things by which a word is compared to the allowance of God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be what? Somebody say it. Be what? Acceptable. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. The foundation of your marriage is built around what you say to them. The foundation of your children's lives is what you say to them. It's what you say about them. It's how you address them. Language, what we say, our words. I've, I've taught hundreds of lessons on speech, our words, except the words, over and over and over again. I'll never get past it because the tongue, the Bible says, is the most unruly member of your body. Hear me. Get control of your language, your tongue. And then out of your mouth, whatever you say, let it be acceptable. And that's the allowance of God. Does God want to hear that? Have we compartmentalized what we get to say? Well, I was just at a table with friends. We were just at the coffee shop. We just, listen, that's just how we talk when we're at Cracker Barrel. Well, then don't ever go to Cracker Barrel again. If Cracker Barrel provokes you to say ugly things about other people in the church, how dare you start talking about people who are covered with the blood of Jesus? Every time you talk bad about other church members, you are trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. Every time you recall all their sins, you are uncovering the blood of Jesus that covered their lives. Here, pastor, tonight, we set an atmosphere. That's why David said, when I enter his courts and with his gates, I'm going to do a couple things. Praise and be thankful. That uses your words. When you get in here on Sunday morning, if the first thing out of your mouth is, I thank you, Lord. I'm here with praise and glory. All of a sudden, you have unleashed a new atmosphere. But if you come in here and you are angry and discontented, you set the atmosphere. And that's why many times we're singing the song and nobody's with it the first time. It takes a long time. Why? Because no one came into the house prepared. And the reason why we didn't come into this house prepared is because we left our own homes unprepared. 
man, if there's any, anything we need to change, we got to get back to the foundation of our homes. we got to change the foundation of our homes. we got to say to our spouses and to our children, I love you. How about, how about we do some new things? Start saying thank you at home. Thanks for helping me. Thank you. Please. How about, how about guys, when your wife asks for something and you don't hear her, what if you said, ma'am? <laughs> He's losing his mind. <laughs> I don't know what happened, Pastor. A spirit got him. Yeah, it could be a spirit of gratefulness and kindness. How about kindness? How about love and joy and the fruit of the Spirit? The foundation of our lives has to be mixed in. That bonding agent is the fruit of the Spirit. All of you who profess that you have the Holy Ghost, I do not know that you have the Holy Ghost, and I will, I will argue with you that you have the Holy Ghost. I don't believe you have the Holy Ghost. You're going to tell me I spoke in tongues. That was the birth of it. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Unless I'm hearing you speak in tongues, I don't know that it's evidence. How do I know you have the Holy Ghost after you stop speaking in tongues? How do I know? All I know is that you spoke in tongues in that moment. But do you have the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is not the Holy Ghost. It's not the tongue. The tongue is the outward manifestation that is inside. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the same thing is only seen when you bear the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not walking around every day speaking in tongues. I got the Holy Ghost. That's not how I do it. People don't even know what it is. They don't want to hear me speak in tongues. But they do want me to speak in love, joy, kindness, forgiveness, temperance. You got the Holy Ghost? How can you have the Holy Ghost and have such a violent temper? How can you exercise the Holy Ghost, but you have no kindness, no forgiveness, no joy? How is it you have the Holy Ghost? You're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. All you did was get born, but you stayed in a diaper for the last 15 years or 20 years or 30 years. Here, pastor, tonight, it's time for the foundation to get in order. The foundation includes the gifts, the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. How, how are you doing on that one? Was it better? Should I go back to like the husband and wife thing? I feel everyone's very uncomfortable with me tonight. Um, I want to talk a little bit in this ending part. And the ending is not short, but this is the last portion of your handout. Uh, my mother learned from my grandmother... If truth be known, my grandmother was the cook and my mother didn't, and she has said, she didn't really start all of this cooking until my grandmother passed away. My grandmother used to make homemade strudels and she would take the dough and, and she'd roll it out. Oh man, she'd make the bed and then she would make a little crust around it and she would make homemade uh, fruit. She'd cut up the fruit. And um, she'd put the fruit inside, maybe mix some sugar or something in it. And then she would braid the outside of that strudel and bake those. Oh, wow. I mean, they would just melt in your mouth. My grandmother used to make the homemade bread. And the Italian bread, when she'd get it out of the oven, the outside of it was 
hard crust and you could just cut it and break it open and the, the soft middle, we would just take the oil and pour the olive oil right. We would just take half a loaf and just cut the thing in half and just and just pour the olive oil right in the middle and we would grade the Parmesan cheese. Sometimes she'd have a little minced garlic and she would just, she'd crumble it up and she'd put it on top and we would just eat the hot, the hot homemade, who's fasting? How are you doing? The hot, <laughs> when I'm fasting, I can describe food better than any time in my entire life. I can smell it. I can, I can dice it. And I would just promote, go home and just, if you got anything Turn off all the bad stuff. You, you can, however, watch uh, the Food Network while you're fasting. It's a wonderful thing to do. It, help, it helps you, sac- your sacrifice. <laughs> my, <laughs> my mother learned all these recipes. My grandmother used to go out to the yard and pick. Um, she'd pick what it amounted to. looked like weeds to us. <laughs> she'd pick the weeds out. She'd cut it up and she would put garlic in it because all the Italian dishes started with a little oil, a little garlic. Little oil, little garlic. Sometimes you throw some basil in there. She would, and she would make these greens right out of the yard. And they're just so incredible. And sometimes she would take a, uh, the uh, little olive, little garlic. She would cut up, she would get the okra out of her yard. She'd cut it up and she'd, she'd fry the okra in that. And then she'd put some egg yolk in there and she'd make, and she'd make like a, 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 a like a scrambled egg okra. Um, with a little tomato on it, on that hot homemade bread, and she'd give it to Grandpa, and she'd give me one, she'd give one to Grandpa. It was so incredible. And the recipes that she had, all kinds of recipes, the, the Italian figs. My daughter made the Italian fig cookies for Christmas. I'm going to spend the next few moments just talking about food. Is that okay? I wanted to talk about food for, for at least half of this lesson. We have family recipes that are indicative to us. I have been to other people's homes and they made their special dish. And I've learned over the years to appreciate their special dish. And I've also learned how to put a filter in my mouth. It took a long time to get the filter. In fact, one of my filters' names is Tammy. It's a, it's a great filter. Um, not everybody has the same family recipe. Families are inclusive. You like to do things with your family that other families don't like to do. That doesn't mean you don't love one another. And one of the foundations is to honor that family recipe, whatever it is. So the family recipe has several attributes in it that you ought to pay special attention to. The first portion of that, and once again, I'm not exhausting all of these. It speaks of unique priorities of your family, your individual family. I'm asking you today, make sure that church attendance is not a unique priority, but it is just a priority. Make sure the elements of living for God are not something that's subjective to your thought. Because your extended family, grandparents and great-grandparents, may never have served God. You break that chain and start a new heritage and a new tradition. But I just want you to know, we honor and respect everyone's unique family priorities. Because that is their recipe. Now, I'm getting somewhere with this, so I'll just let you in on it. New life has a family recipe. This is how we do it here. Not every church does it the way we do it. That doesn't mean they're bad and we're good. But this is how we do it. 
This is how we're going to conduct ourselves. So anyone who's coming in from another church, this church, it takes one year to get acclimated to our family recipe. This is how we move. This is how we roll. Sometimes we're going to stop the service. Sometimes I'm going to stop you worshiping. I'm going to preach the word. (laughs) I'm going to do it because that's the way we do it. We're going to honor one another in this house. That's the family recipe. That's the priority. We're going to honor one another. And if you're not honoring one another, you're out of order. You're eating noodles instead of pasta. They're two different things. That's a bad example. Sorry, I offended all the noodle people. The second thing is in that family recipe. The family recipe, there's traditions that are established. And traditions should not be minimized. We had a big pushback about 15 years ago against tradition. And tradition is tradition. It's not salvation. But tradition often leads to the recognition or the help of salvation. Mark 7, 13. I'll get, if I got my scripture right, 7, 13. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition and many such like things do ye. Now, now, don't misquote the scripture. They were washing dishes that have already been cleaned, but they were doing it ceremoniously. So they had to do a certain ceremony before they ate out of those pots or pans. They were already clean. But there were customary things that now we know part of the Mishnah, part of the extended law, things that they had created, ceremonies, And anyone who didn't do that, they were condemned. Jesus didn't say to throw away your tradition. Just don't make them egregious against the Holy Holy Spirit. We follow the word, we follow the principle, and sometimes we follow the tradition. The tradition here is to go to church on Sunday night. But the Bible doesn't say you have to go to church twice on Sunday. But that's that's the way we roll. That's our family recipe. And a family recipe is not just your individual family, but it's the church family. And in the church family, we want to institute the same things that we want in our own home. Kindness and love and gentleness and caring for one another of all ages. We want to make sure within that family, we're all playing out our roles. We're not comparing one another by one another, as I put in your handout. We're not going to be unwise and try to think, well, they're, they're in that role and that's better. No, it's not. We're all playing a role. All of us are part of the body. God puts you in this body for a reason. He puts you in this church even tonight for a reason. It was by divine call. He drew you. You think, oh, I made my own decision. He was drawing you to come here in this house. You don't minimize yourself. Don't say, well, I don't really do much or I don't, I don't do that, so I'm not good. No, being in here and worshiping in the corporate structure and the body, that's part of the family. It's the function of the body. It's, it's critical that we all understand we are part of the body. And the body in the family of God. We have a custom, and the custom, and you, can, you could have written custom instead of tradition, but it's the tradition of it. Our tradition is to have a Christmas tree in the foyer for Christmas. We're not worshiping the Christmas tree. We don't bow down and worship a Christmas tree.
all right. It's, it's important. We have traditions, and those traditions don't mean that we are apostates or heathens. They're just traditions. And there's a lot of anger and hate in the world. And if it bothers you that we have a tr- Christmas tree, come back in January. Maybe the second week so we can get it down. We're going we're gonna to have Easter egg hunt. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt. It's, oh man. It's a family custom. I just got to tell you, it's a family custom. I'm sorry that you don't like green beans or okra. Or Brussels sprouts, which I happen to really enjoy. Oh, Brussels sprouts, can I tell you? If you cut them in half, <laughs> and you saw it, damn, you put some bacon in there. You can even put them in the oven, and you put a little, like, brown sugar on them. Oh, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> they got to be a little brown. <laughs> We're going to have an Easter egg hunt. So don't be offended. Get over it. This is what we do. Now I got to say that because I've been confronted on numbers of occasions about the Easter bunny. We're not worshiping the Easter bunny. We're not worshiping the Easter egg. We do it for the kids and people who like chocolate. And I'm not sure... If there's more that like chocolate than, than, the, than, than the Easter bunny. We're not apostates. We're speaking in tongues. We're loving God. Jesus is the name. We're baptizing correctly. We're trying to live away from the world. Get over yourself. It's just a custom. It's not a biblical right or a disobedience of the scripture. If you're going to talk about Christmas trees being poles and try to, try to liken it to, to the Bible, the Asherah pole, you have no idea what you're talking about. They're not even the same thing. I don't care what you read on the internet. There's a bunch of, don't believe everything you read. There's a bunch of dummies on the internet writing all kinds of stuff. And find obscure. Just because you read it online doesn't mean it's true. What are you talking about? Go back to the Bible. I'll tell you the Bible. And just because someone has the doctor in front of the name, it, you don't even know what kind of doctor they are. It could be Dr. Pepper. Dr. J. You know, give me a break. Just because the world deems each other important and they give each other doctors in psychology, it does not mean that transvestites have normal minds and that we should leave them alone, accept them just as they are, just because men want to look like women, just because a doctor said it's normal. Have you been reading what the, what the, what the, what the institution of psychology has been putting out lately? No, you probably haven't. Don't worry about it. Just know this. The word of the Lord is true and you got to understand the difference between the word and tradition and custom. It's the family. It's the family recipe. It's just the way we do it around here. All right. I was working myself up. <laughs> when I realized this is not a symposium, so I'll just teach. Finally, here we are. Here's your family. Here's mine. Um, my family... Uh, the two families, the, the Anthony um, Bolton family, which is our, my in-laws, the Anthony Bolton family, they speak very differently than the Harpole Farino family. Uh, the Anthony Bolton family, which we will see here shortly, um, they don't talk uh, like we would talk uh, in the Harpole Farino family. And 
there's a different vibe. There's a, there's a different thing that happens. It's a different culture. Um, this has taken a long time. This is, we've only almost been married for 24 years, and I'm learning this. I'm still learning these cultures. And that particular family, have, they have different priorities than, than the Harpole Farino family. And that particular family um, will respond differently to situations. And so I have to learn how to honor that and realize it's just a preference. This is a cultural preference in that particular family. In this particular thought of the church, not just with the corporate body, but in your individual home, you'll have cultural differences but you don't have to have racial differences. If you want to know the truth, there aren't two or three or four different races. There's one race. It's the human race. You're not part of a different race based upon some minor uh, epidermis view. But you do have cultural differences. And so in the church, you've got to understand that every family's cultural differences need to be honored also. It's okay for us to have a cultural... Now, in this house, even, as a body, we've got a little bit different culture going on here. And hopefully the culture will be one of lifting one another up and supporting one another. This culture... If you don't know it, let me just tell you what this was built on. Because 19 years ago, when Tammy and I walked in, we knew everyone in the church was damaged, wounded, and hurting. Everyone. Everyone was messed up. Everyone had a distorted view of church and of the ministry. Everyone. Everyone, and there weren't many, everyone was stripped of confidence in a pulpit. Because after two pastors both have affairs, nobody trusts the pulpit. And when I followed two, nobody trusts the pulpit. And I found out that in many places in this area, the same thing was happening over and over and over again. And so what we established was, we're going to be routine. We're going to do the same thing over. This handout that I've given you, I'm going to tell you right now. Janet Jenkins kept all of them until she passed away. Thousands and thousands of pages of handouts with little fill in the blank that I was doing. And if anyone was here, do I have any members from 2000, just the year 2000? Thank you. Oh, beautiful. My God, you stayed. Thousands of pieces of paper. Thousands of documents. Thousands upon thousands from, night, from late 1999 all the way to this very day, we decided we were going to be a house of healing. This was going to be a healing house. We were going to heal and constantly, and as we started to try to heal people with love and kindness, I was a little oblivious. I thought everyone could be healed. 
More people that were wounded came in. Let me tell you about the culture of new life. The culture of new life was never the thought that we're better than anyone else. The culture was we are all struggling to get ourselves back together. And this is a place where we can be healed and loved and restored. And nobody was judgmental against anyone else. But we knew we were coming from different walks and had different pains. That's the culture. And if we ever lose that culture, we're in big trouble. So I got to establish here tonight, this family recipe, I want to tell you our recipe. People come in and they're wounded and you're wounded and you're hurt and you're struggling and you're down and out and you have troubles. And I'm going to tell you what, no one should be haughty because the first time someone's haughty, they're having the, you don't know it, but they're having the same trouble you're having in their house. No one ought to be prideful against one another or think they're better than one another. Why? Because... The family recipe recipe has revealed the culture, its cultural preferences, and the cultural preference that we have is that we want everyone to come to church, everybody to come to church. Amen. And it's 7.43 and I'm on target. And I, 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 I'm looking at this foundation, foundational teaching, our family foundation. And I'm realizing how critical it is, the foundation of my home with my children. I'll I'll reveal a little bit to you. Here's our family foundation. It's the word. It's work. It's routine. It's language. Oh, we struggle with all these. But that's, that's the foundation. It's worship. It's serving in the church. It's not a big mystery. Not a big mystery. If you ever get a hold of the book, The Outliers, read Gladwell's book. The 10,000 hour rule. If you do something for 10,000 hours, you usually master that. 10,000 hour rule. People want instant help. They want instant strength. They want instant knowledge. No, stick around. You won't recognize yourself. 10,000 hours from now. Stick around 10 years from now. You'll be a different person because the Holy Spirit will have saturated. You're like a cucumber. You're trying to become a pickle. And you need to be marinated over and over. And the only way you get marinated is if you get in the substance every day, every day of your day. And then it changes the fiber of who you were. All that, all those hard places start to change. And all of a sudden, you see wonderful things happen and your thinking changes. And all of a sudden... The places where you were erratic and in chaos, they become placid and still. The things that you didn't understand, now you understand. And the church and the word and the spirit and the preaching and the teaching and the worship of all of this changes the way you operate in your everyday life. And everybody said amen. To be continued.